The study came out of the Lowitcher Institute, who recognised that gender was something that needed to be explored within Aboriginal health and wellbeing. And so they put forward a project plan and some funding attached to it. And AXA, along with, in a partnership, along with uh, Adelaide University and Samory, applied for that and won the grant. And AXA was the, the leading body on it. And in terms of how the actual study itself was conducted, can you elaborate a bit on that? Utilising the networks that exist from the Aboriginal Health Council with the Community Controlled Health Services, we approached three different communities that have uh, distinctions from each other. So we chose Murray Bridge, which is not in Jetty country, uh, Adelaide Metro, which is Ghana country, and we chose Port Lincoln, which is Bungalow country. We approached the, the health services within those regions and we then kind of got their approval to be able to promote and gather participants for the ironing circles with their kind of endorsement in knowing that we were kind of doing this correct. And w- what are those yarning circles? Or what were some of the things that were sort of discussed within those? So the yarning circles were conducted by Dominic and myself. They were organised around gender, so Dominic spoke to the men's groups and I spoke to the women's groups together with some other female researchers uh, working on the project as well. And the yarning circles were really about talking about strengths around gender. We talked about what people think of when they hear the word gender, um, what roles and identities are specifically gendered, how culture comes into the concept of gender. And we also talked about the concept of equity, which didn't really resonate with the participants overall. Gender equity was often a term that wasn't familiar or used in the communities. Uh, So we framed those questions more about fairness and we talked about what's fair for men and women and how fairness is understood and how it's played out in the community. So it ended up being that, you know, the yarning circles were more a free-flowing conversation. So we let the participants talk to stories and scenarios and situations, uh, let them guide the discussion. Uh, It was really just our role to facilitate or to um, introduce a concept or a topic and just let the ball roll. Many of the participants in the room knew each other, so um, they bounced off each other in a familiar way. We were really the outsiders in that space, and it was important that that was the case, to situate the expertise with them and let them use stories to teach us and tell us what gender meant in their lives. Downing circles are also a very common Aboriginal research methodology in a way of collecting stories because it's, you know, replicating when we gather and talk and tell each other our stories and speak. So we tried to use, where possible, Aboriginal ways of doing things and that was really important uh, for us to centralise that. What what did the study reveal in terms of things like gender roles? If we can start with you, Gabby, in, in terms of women's roles, what were some of the things that people identified within these communities? So um, when we asked the participants to talk to us about what a strong Aboriginal woman was and um, how to describe her, the women spoke about a woman who knows her identity, who draws strengths from others in the community, who's very family-based and who's an advocate for her people and her community. We also heard a lot about their survival and resilience and how that factors into a lot of their gendered identity is 
women in a community space? For the men um, in the yarning circles, we found that when we asked them about being a strong Aboriginal man, they spoke about being good fathers, uh, being teachers, particularly of culture and particularly towards other young men, that they were hard workers and loyal to their family and community, and that they were seen as you know, carriers of culture, that they had a particular knowledge, and some of that was gendered as well, and that they had a responsibility of carrying that for, for community. And there was also some characteristics of, of men that were spoken about, one of them being, uh, you know, being confident, but also not being um, arrogant. One of the strongest things was about that sharing uh, culture back to community and having that responsibility. Okay, now I, I understand uh, you had the opportunity to, to hear from people uh, sort of in different age groups and things like that. Are those understandings changing through age groups? I think that we can say yes. What we heard from the older women is a very straightforward um, notion of gender as you know being about behaviour or or um, representation. When we spoke to the younger women, um, there was much more of an understanding that gender can be really fluid and that it can exist not on a binary but on a spectrum. So that's where we really saw the, the nuances of across the age group. We also, we also could see them in terms of um, where they viewed equity in terms of calling for partnerships and um, the, the older women really applauded the younger men for participating in families or engaging in families where they were really working in partnership with their partners and their kids. So that was a really important finding from the, from the older women responding to the younger men. And I think for the, for the men talking, like something that came up across the age groups was that young men spoke about wanting to be like their fathers but a better version of them or to improve. But they, with that, they also had a deep respect for their fathers and grandfathers and, and uncles. So it was about looking at past generations with respect, but looking at how they can improve and, and adapt themselves to be better fathers themselves, better community members. And that particularly was surrounded around football and other sporting cultures, which I thought was kind of shows the strength of the, the local football club. But there's a limitation in that, and that not all Aboriginal men attend football or play football or even hang out around the club. And these sort of views then on gender roles and, and things like gender equity, what, while there is, you know, obviously difference in, in some of the opinions from some of the participants, do, do these views differ uh, sort of as a collective sense to what we see more generally from Western views in this sense of, of gender roles and gender equity? Yeah, absolutely. So when we are, like Gabby was saying before, when we spoke about gender equity to them, the term didn't really resonate with the participants. But when we asked them other questions around gender equity, they uh, spoke about fairness and they spoke about how gender equity actually does exist, but it's just not labelled that. It's labelled other things. But it also does manifest in Aboriginal communities where particularly women were looking for gender equity lies in different places to where Western women are looking for it. And that includes, it's not so much about the workplace, but more about community and home life. I think a real strong finding in this project was the fact that 
where gender equity in a Western context is situated with the individual and their access to resources, opportunities and power and things like that. What our study revealed is that um, none of that is relevant when we're speaking about equity and fairness in Aboriginal contexts. What's actually important is the shared roles and responsibilities in the community that men and women and other people bring into the space. And so that's a really important distinction because it's not about the individual and what they can access, but it's about the collective and what they bring to the community. What are some of the challenges then that have been revealed so far that are faced by Aboriginal men, women and people of the LGBTQ community? I think one of the things that came through was that racism was an equaliser and that it's something that both Aboriginal men and women and LGBT mob um, experience, but then they experience it also in, in gendered ways as well, or ways that are unique to their identity um, and from certain communities. So LGBT mob will experience homophobia and transphobia from within the Aboriginal community, but then they'll also experience racism from within the LGBT community. For women and men, they, uh, you know, regardless of sexuality, they experienced gendered racism as in Aboriginal men were seen as aggressive, were seen as bad fathers, and this was quite racist stereotyping, and the same for women were seen as bad mothers or kind of, what's the word, how to describe it, but... There's a lot of slut shaming yeah. of Aboriginal women <laughs> yeah. in, in you know, yeah. non-Aboriginal communities. Mm. And this is racist, but it's also gendered racist mm. stereotypes. Mm. And another thing I think was also about how some policies really prevent people from contributing to that shared responsibility. So we heard stories of programs being run out of government orgs or schools where men couldn't go out with children because they had criminal history and that might have been you know based on a stupid mistake they made as a teen sticking with them into their adulthood and that you know preventing them with working with young people we also heard about having quotas from adult to child ratios when working with kids on programs we also heard about environmental policies that restricted men and women from fulfilling their gendered roles we heard about a situation where overfishing was a penalized in a situation where a man was fishing for a community event and that being penalised because he was fishing for his mob and stockpiling his fish for this event. Um, So he was following the rules, the white law, which was only five fish every time you go fishing. And he would take those five fish and put them in the freezer and he would go back the next day and catch another five fish. But then the government came and knocked on his door and penalised him for stocking up the fish. And so here was this white man's law impacting this man's roles and responsibilities towards his community. And I guess the interesting and important point there is even when you think a policy may not influence gender and gender roles and gender equity, something like an environmental policy where you don't think gender plays into it does and it's important to acknowledge that um, you know when drawing up these policies you know there's equal consultation between men and women in the community so that things like this don't end up happening where men are targeted for overfishing and women are targeted for you know collecting 
plants and materials for medicine or whatever. Okay, that was, that's a very interesting finding there, especially the, the fishing story as well. I wouldn't have thought something like that you know, would be impacting people. So I understand a, a number of recommendations have come out of the study. What are some of those recommendations? I think the biggest one is just we need more research around gender and gender equity within Aboriginal communities, particularly with a focus on, like, it comes from a strength-based point of view as opposed to centering around a problem like domestic violence or health issues. Um, there really needs to be more research around Aboriginal masculinities and also Torres Strait Islander culture and how that, you know, how gender exists within that. We really have to acknowledge a limitation of this research was that it was exploratory and that it had a set tasks by Lowitzer for where we had to explore and for the questions we had to answer, but also that you know, we only had a limited amount of time and had only a limited amount of access to people. So we need this to go across the continent. And I would actually really love to see local communities take up research or people take up this research in their communities and to look at gender from within as opposed to people going from externally and looking at it. And we definitely need more research around LGBTIQ and that also includes non-binary people as well, our brother boys and our sister girls, and making sure that they are included. Lowitzer didn't actually stipulate for us to cover LGBTIQ and non-binary identities, but it was something that we took up because we thought it was important to have that representation in this report. And it's something that I'm really proud that we, that we did that. But we need more of it and, there, and the support of what is already existing as well. One of the other recommendations from the work is also about how communities can respond to some of these gender equity issues or gender fairness issues. You know, there was a lot of discussion around men's roles and how to bring men in. And undeniably, there, there is that work happening. There's another project being run out of Samri about strong dads. So the work around men and men's roles is happening. But some of the responses really ought to be community-driven, bringing men, women um, across age groups into the picture and understanding how they can bring men and women together to share responsibilities. So this is just kind of a, a groundwork for all of, all of that type of community response. Lots of this LGBTQI work still remains undone. I mean, we did lots of men, women, but because of the size of the project and the time frame, the LGBT BT voice is quite limited and again that's a limitation of the project. We can't do everything in small spaces of time so we really encourage and promote that um, into the future. Have we seen other studies like this before? Are you aware of any studies like this before that have happened across the country? Not like this to be honest but people are studying in this area. People are talking about gender alongside other issues and people are talking about gender by Aboriginal gender by itself. And, you know, we started this project two years ago and so much has changed since we started on it and it's fantastic to see that growth around this. There was quite a few presentations at the recent Lowitzer conference that were naming things like masculinity and gender and sexuality and to see that more prominently, even though it's been there, and it has been covered, but to see it more prominently is a good thing. 
And just on that, I mean, I think like what Dom said earlier about this work being different because it doesn't revolve around a deficit or a problem. Like, gender has been discussed in research around domestic violence or incarceration or um, education, but we didn't have those focuses or those lenses in this work. We were just looking at gender, gender roles and specifically understanding what equity means in this space. And that work really hasn't been explored. Uh, there is some unpublished work and some published work exploring gender roles, you know, and we've acknowledged that in our, our literature reviewing and, and our work so far. We're not saying that this is the only time gender has been explored. We're saying that we've taken this approach and this re- approach is unique but still very new and exploratory. And just finally then, for both you, Gabby and Dominic, despite, you know, some of the limitations that you were mentoring, do you think greater consideration of, of gender needs to occur then in, in future policymaking for Aboriginal communities? Absolutely. Yes, we're <laughs> nodding. <laughs> we're nodding very, very vigorously, it, yes. It definitely needs to be considered um, alongside sexuality and all gender identities as well, and particularly from a contemporary point of view and from all views as well. And that's why I think that local perspective is really important or engagement around this is important because it's going to capture what's happening in your community, how your community and culture look at gender and that's going to impact the way that you view health or the way you view sports or the way you view the justice system and how that interacts with us as Aboriginal people.